Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome back to Mile Higher Podcast, episode 133. Today, we're going to be talking about the disappearance of Patrice Endres. This is from a recent series that has come out on Netflix called Unsolved Mysteries. It's a reboot of the old version of Unsolved Mysteries. And you guys have been requesting that we cover these cases like crazy. Yeah, well, we did Ray Rivera already, and that one was super interesting. It was. They Um, definitely picked some interesting cases for this series. So we watched the episode called 13 Minutes, um, Mm -hmm. and this is about the disappearance of Patrice Endress, and we were just completely intrigued by it because it's unsolved, but there's a lot of sort of arrows pointing to one particular individual. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to dive deep into that case today. Uh, Yeah, it's definitely a one that will it kind of leaves you a little bit frustrated at the end because Mm -hmm. you're like, this seems so solvable. Yeah. And yet it's still unsolved after all these years. And I feel so bad for her son pistol. Uh, Yeah. Interesting name. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I do too. Pistol black. And so, you know, you really feel for the family that this is still, there's no justice has been Mm -hmm. served for this clear murder so and if you've watched this episode her son is in it a lot and you just feel really really bad for him yeah he talks about it you can tell it's just affected him in so many ways it really has so that is what we're going to be covering today we also got a couple intro topics for you that i think are going to be pretty interesting to you Uh, but also i wanted to thank our sponsors for today we've got candid co lumen skin which i gotta say i love lumen skins make my skin look so good it does look (laughs) at that shine it almost Mm. looks like you've got highlighter on (laughs) Wow. Thank you. I hate you for having such good skin. And over here, I'm struggling. I spend so much on my skincare. I work so hard on my routine and I'm still struggling. And look at him. Beautiful. It's flawless. Man. What in the hell? I know. Three simple steps. So <laughs> we'll tell you more about that later. But also we've got third love as well, uh, which we love. So yeah, we got a lot going on today, but let's go ahead and jump into our first uh, sort of intro topic that we've got. So when I went to go look for intro topics for this week, you know, the news has just been really depressing as of late, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it's just been overreported on. So I really wanted to dive deep and try to like come up with something that you probably haven't heard of. And hopefully you haven't heard of this. So the first thing we've got is a new study that came out from a U.S.-based meteorological researcher named Mila Zinkova, who has done some research and looked back to the Titanic and the sinking of the Titanic which we have done an episode actually on the whole Titanic conspiracy Mm because there's actually quite a bit of evidence to suggest that possibly the Titanic was sunk on purpose and perhaps it wasn't even the Titanic, uh, the ship that actually sank. It could have been another ship. But, you know, if we consider everything that, you know, pretty much everybody, the mainstream says what happened for the Titanic, it hit an iceberg and unfortunately sank and over a thousand passengers perished. So this particular researcher went back to look at some of the eyewitness accounts of people who were on the ship that night to try and figure out, you know, why did they hit the iceberg? Because that's like Mm -hmm. the biggest question is for such a huge ship, how did they mess that up? How did they even hit an iceberg? So according to this researcher, she did a study of all the different accounts of eyewitnesses during that night. And she makes the argument that a geomagnetic storm may have been large enough to affect the navigation system of the Titanic ever so slightly that that was the reason why they hit the iceberg because based on different eyewitness accounts of people that were on the sinking ship, they all described seeing the Aurora Borealis, uh, which if you don't know what that is, that's those beautiful lights in the sky, which are caused by uh, geomagnetic, uh, basically like flares kind of in a way. Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. They're really, really pretty. It just looks so unnatural. I wish I could see. That's like one of my life goals to see that. That's interesting. They could see it. That was probably beautiful from the boat. I had no idea that that type of thing could cause any interference, especially back then. I mean, how connected was their technology? You know? Yeah. I'm not exactly sure about that either. Um, I think the main thing is that the radio transmissions, you know how they sent out SOS uh, signals and stuff and like nobody oh, right. got them right away. Oh, okay. I see. So it's not, it may not have caused them actually hitting right, the iceberg. Right, right. It could have caused more. But also if lost. you're using like a compass and stuff, that's, that's magnetic, you know, that's, oh, right. so that's that true. That's true. works with the magnetic field. So if there was a, a solar storm or a geomagnetic storm, based on the fact that there was those Aurora Borealis there, which tells us that there is a shift in the geomagnetic field, 
then perhaps that could have made, you know, their navigation system, the compass is off just ever so slightly so uh-huh. that, you know, maybe that was just enough to cause them to go a little bit closer to the iceberg than they ever planned on going, you know, so they have time to correct that still. I don't know. The whole thing is so odd. It is very odd. Yeah, I feel like we may never get the full story of what happened. No, I don't think we ever will. But I think perhaps if the or I guess she's making the art. I guess this researcher is making the argument that if it wasn't for this, you know, geomagnetic storm or the Aurora Borealis or whatever, then perhaps their radio transmissions would have actually been received far earlier Mm -hmm. and far more people would have survived. That makes sense. If, if they had actually gotten those radio transmissions, like they could have got lost in, because remember we've talked, we were talking about that too during the episode. Oh yeah, we were. Why did, you know, nobody come for help? Why could nobody receive the transmissions? And this is one reason for why that may have happened. And therefore, you know, unfortunately it caused so many more people to lose their lives because like of perfect storm. Yeah. These, I guess, solar flares and things like that can affect the, you know, earth's magnetic field and stuff. Unless so. it was sunk on purpose. Right. Right. Who knows? The world may never know. But I just thought that was interesting that there's somebody out there. There's a researcher out there that's still trying to figure out what happened with the Titanic. Yeah. She's definitely not the only one. I mean, there's so many questions that people want the answers to, and there's a lot of people trying to figure it out. Yeah, I guess it makes sense. I mean, it's probably one of the biggest mysteries of of all time is like what what really happened with the Titanic. The next story I've got is about ring doorbell cameras or just, you know, video doorbells in general, because it's something that's taken the world by storm seemingly like more and more people, especially in the last couple of years, have put video doorbells on their homes and, you know, places where they live and which is super helpful when it comes to fighting crime and protecting your home. I mean, we use a ring security system and doorbells and I love it because it allows you to, you know, always know when somebody's coming up to your door, it allows you to kind of know what's around your house. It's super helpful, especially if you're home alone and you don't want to answer if it's someone you don't know, but you can't, if you don't have a peephole, <laughs> right. I, I really like having it. It's very convenient. Like if I'm in the bath and someone's at the door. Yeah. It's really nice. So this story that I found is about a leaked FBI bulletin uh, that basically talks about how law enforcement has been using ring doorbell systems specifically to surveil people and, you know, be able to, you know, go and it helps them solve crimes and things like Mm -hmm. that. It's very helpful. I mean, with the ring neighborhood app, if you ever use that before, um, people can report crimes and things like that. And it also gives law enforcement a tool in order to go and pull video uh, surveillance of, you know, areas where a crime may have occurred. And so it's super helpful. But on the flip side, uh, according to this FBI bulletin, they specifically were talking about a 2017 incident, in which FBI agents went to a, a New Orleans home to serve a search warrant and were caught on video. And through the Wi-Fi doorbell system, the subject of the warrant remotely viewed the activity at his residence from another location and contacted his neighbor and landlord regarding the FBI's presence there. So according to the FBI, they're saying video doorbell devices pose a risk to law enforcement is essentially oh, uh, the they issue get a heads here. Up. Yeah. So now people, you know, criminals could just throw ring doorbells on there or video doorbells on there where they live or where they're, you know, keeping things and, you know, it alerts them even to law enforcement. So well, they're now saying that this is kind of a, double-edged sword here you know it's helpful but it's also could be dangerous too because it could a lot with law enforcement in their search warrants as we've seen in lately you know the element of surprise is the most important thing for them Mm -hmm. because they don't want to show up and you know they don't want the people to escape and they don't or they don't want people to fight back Mm -hmm. and so these doorbells make it virtually impossible to surprise somebody because there's no way around it. I mean, you could come at a house from, you know, if you have the system around your house, then, I mean, it picks up huge areas of movement and it can track motion and everything else. So how does law enforcement approach a house with, you know, video surveillance or, you know, a front door to go through a front door if there's this video doorbell? Well, there's always pros and cons to any type of technology. I mean, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it too. It helps them in so many ways. It helps with so many cases, endless times, endless examples of how ring doorbells have helped. So I think more cameras, the better when it comes to true crime. Um, Maybe other reasons, not so much. 
But yeah, I mean, they can't really complain about too much. Yeah, I was going to say the pros like seem to outweigh the, the negatives here because yeah. you're going to solve way more crimes because there's mm-hmm. way more crime captured on footage. There's now. only going to be more and more cameras and tech yeah. on people's houses. Like it's right. just something they're going to have to get used to and adapt to. Right. And specifically, I wanted to talk about this issue because in this particular case with Patrice, she had no video surveillance of her salon where she goes missing from yeah and potentially if she had some sort of you know ring doorbell system or something obviously it wasn't around when when this happened but yeah, you know this case is in the early 90s maybe we would know you know what had happened to her maybe it wasn't common back then no it wasn't as common no because i mean unless super you had, had someone like break into your house or had a reason like not many people had cameras in their house no not at all it was usually businesses that had the cctv cameras I mean, homes for a long time just had alarm systems where it just like go, you know, ring or whatever, or, you know, beep and call the police, but it wouldn't actually record anybody. So I'm honestly surprised that it took so long for them to come out with these ring doorbells. Like I'm surprised the concept wasn't around a lot sooner. Yeah. I'm surprised there wasn't like a CCTV or something like black and white. I know doorbell thing. I guess it, it just was yeah. film outside of your house. Well, I think the biggest thing with it is wireless technology. Like, mm-hmm. cause, because it's all wireless and where do you store that? You need now all the footage is stored on the cloud. So mm-hmm. before it had to be like on a computer. So like it would be very, very expensive to have a video doorbell back in the nineties. But I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. And it's an issue that I think we're going to hear more about in the future, especially as mm-hmm. more and more people have video doorbells that, yeah, you know, law enforcement is not a huge fan of it. Well, like I said, at the same time, they kind of are because it does help. It has, it does help so many cases, but this is specifically the FBI too, versus like local PD, local Mm. PD likes Mm. it because they're dealing with low level crime. But if you're dealing with like really, you know, organized individuals, then it it definitely works against you. So it's only a matter of time. So, but let's go ahead and get into the case of Patrice Andres. So Patrice Tambor Endress was born on November 28th, 1965. By the early 90s, she and her husband had a son, and we're not exactly sure how to pronounce his real name. It's either Delvis or Delves. Um, Delves Wade Black, but he actually goes by the name Pistol anyway. Well, with a name like Delves or Delvis, (laughs) I I would probably want to go by Pistol too. I haven't heard that before. No, I've never heard that name before either. It's not that bad though. It's spelled like delve like if you like delve elves. into something elves or, delves yeah delves <laughs> i don't know anyway he goes by pistol eventually patrice and her first husband divorced but they stayed really close friends uh for a long time like they had a great relationship and a great co-parenting relationship um and they got along really really well they talked nearly every day so they were definitely on the same page and excellent co-parents and pistol said that growing up both of his parents made him feel loved and supported Pistol and Patrice were very, very close. She was a very involved, hands-on mother. Yes. Cared about her son a lot. She went to all of his sports practices, all of his games, and was always supporting him and encouraging him, you know, on the sidelines. Really close relationship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She was very pretty. She kind of looks a little bit like Kourtney Kardashian. She kind of looks a little bit like my mom. I was going to say she does look like low your key. mom. Yeah, low key. Like she my does mom look a little, little like your mom. <laughs> like especially that haircut because my mom yeah. rocked that like same haircut for a totally. long time. Same color hair. When Patrice was 30 years old, she met a man who was 50 years old and his name is Rob Endress. Rob was driving by the salon where Patrice was working at the time. She was a hairstylist, very into her job. And he decided to stop in for a haircut and that's how they met. On March 2nd, 1997, they became married and he gave her a custom made one of a kind wedding ring that was 14 carat gold, two gold bands actually attached to each other with a 1.5 carat pear shaped Marquise diamond. Is that the right way to say yeah, Marquise? Yeah, that's a, that's a nice ring. Is that? Yeah. Hmm. One and a half carats. That's, that's decent size. Too. I don't really know anything about diamonds. That is pretty big though, yeah. right? Yeah. At this time, Pistol was about eight or nine years old. So Rob was now his stepfather. And for the first year or so, he said that it wasn't too bad. He got along pretty well with his stepdad. And Rob really tried to be there for Pistol. He took him to football practices and made an effort to spend as much time with him as he could. But after about a year, at some point, he's not really sure why, that all just changed. And he totally became cold towards him 
Not just that, he was talking down to him, belittling him, saying mean things to him, like became abusive. Yeah, straight up. Yeah, it's like he was putting on an act for his mom at first to really trick him, trick her. Yeah, and also I think for Rob, I don't think he was fully prepared for what it means to be a stepfather by any means. Mm -hmm. And he's clearly his first interest was Patrice. And so, you know, having to now have a stepson who, according to Rob says, he says that pistol was just out of control. Like he was just Mm -hmm. did whatever he wanted. There was no rules and it was just chaotic. And so I didn't really point to a lot of examples of that though. Like I question how true that is and how much he was just inconvenienced by her son. Cause he just said he just didn't have any interest in him. He seemed bothered by him and yeah. Um, yeah. He, yeah. He basically was like, he was a bad kid. He talks yeah, he really sh- badly about he him. He does. To this he day. straight up says that pistols like a bad guy pretty yeah, much, which is really odd. I mean, you can only tell so much about it. Someone from a documentary, but pistol seems like a really nice guy to me. Yeah, so, exactly. I and know. I think there's a, there's a lot of speculation about their relationship. And according to family and friends, they said that Rob became jealous of pistol because they had such a close, you know, mother son relationship that he felt like he wasn't getting enough time with mm-hmm. her or whatever. Mm-hmm. And also according to family and friends, Rob was very possessive yeah. of Patrice Control, controlling, like not allowing her to see certain friends. And I mean, isn't that the classic step parent thing to be like jealous yeah, of the kid really their relationship. And what's so funny is he, he says that pistol was jealous of him and his mom and their relationship. Which it's like, how can you even make that statement, honestly? Because <laughs> they were there first. Mm-hmm. You came in after the fact. Mm-hmm. You know, they were they were together for the first, you know, eight or nine years of his life. And yeah. that was all he knew was that relationship with his mom. So, yeah. you know, why are you trying to say, oh, well, it's his problem. Mm-hmm. And I think the, you know, stress and tension between their relationship started really causing issues for Patrice and Robert as well, or Rob. You know, he start. They start just fighting a lot. I think she was really disappointed that he was not so nice to her son, and Pistol was obviously complaining about him. So, yeah, things were getting a little rocky at this time. Yeah, and I get sociopath vibes from Mister Rob. That's and a strong word. It is. And you're not a doctor. I am not. I am not <laughs> diagnosing him or anything. But vibes. Uh, I see what you're saying, though. But I it's can see the vibes. It's interesting because you know he's 50 years old too. That's mm-hmm. he's 20 years older than Patrice. And you would think that, you know, he would be mature and he would be, Mm -hmm. you know, honestly in a a good place mentally and understand what he was getting himself into. And just the amount of judgment that Rob puts on pistol Mm -hmm. right away, like, and just to me, it just seems that seems fake. And it seems like ultimately he just wanted Patrice all to himself. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's pretty clear. Yeah. Yeah. And pistol was, you know, he couldn't even have a relationship with his mother at all. He had to be gone completely out of the picture. He felt like there was like no hope for him in life. Like he thought that pistol was going nowhere and that he wouldn't amount to anything. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine deciding someone's fate like that young? Be like, Oh, this kid is never going to make it. He's just a waste of time. And who does does that? I mean, what kind of person does that? He treats him like such shit in this case. It's unreal. Yeah, he acts like he was like this criminal from a young age. And there's, as far as we know, there's no indication of that at all. Mm -mm. Just seems like jealousy. So Patrice always enjoyed cutting hair. She was really, like I said, into her job, was always practicing on pistol, giving him different haircuts and coloring his hair, giving him a mohawk randomly. Like his, he said his hair changed like every couple of weeks. Patrice also really cared about her clients. Eventually, she was able to open up her own salon called Tambers Trim and Tan. And she was able to do this because her husband, Rob, helped her financially to launch it. And she was very proud of this salon. She decorated it all herself in purple. And this was her favorite color. It had two chairs, one for the other stylists who worked there when Patrice was off. So it was really her own business. And she was super proud of it. Yeah. And she was beloved by her clients. They were very loyal to her. You know, they would always come back to her. And some people would just come and hang out there. She literally had people that would stop by and not even get their hair cut, but just to talk while she was cutting someone else's hair. She was described as the light of the community. She was always smiling and upbeat. She made all of her clients and her friends feel special and loved. But while she was thriving at work, things may not have been so great at home. We kind of alluded to how things were already starting to get rocky because of just the way that he was treating Pistol. That was really upsetting to Patrice. 
And according to friends and family, they were just fighting all the time. And by early 2000s, Patrice confirmed to her friends that she wanted a divorce from him. And what's interesting is that in this episode, they asked Rob about the fighting and he straight up denies that they were ever fighting or the fact that Patrice wanted a divorce. He straight up says, that's news to me, which I don't believe him whatsoever. I, I do not think that he just did not know that. And this is all made up. It seems like everyone in her life is on the same page that she wanted right. a divorce except for him. Right. So in the spring of 2004, Patrice was 38 years old and her business was really taking off. She was doing very well. She was super happy in her work life. You know, the home life was kind of rocky, but as far as work goes, she was very happy. And like I said, people would often come by just to hang out. So in March or early April, Pistol remembered an off conversation that he had with his mom. She had asked him where he would go if anything ever happened to her. He said that he would probably go move in with his dad, Don Black. And like we said earlier, they were really, really close. The whole family was still, you know, very much in touch. So I think he thought she meant it in a way, you know, like if anything ever happened to me, where will you be? Where will you stay? What will happen? Um, but the conversation didn't go any further and she never brought it up again. So he didn't think too much of it, which I mean, I, I could kind of see how at the time you might just brush that off because I feel like you, everybody has that kind of conversation to some extent with their parents. Like, yeah. you know, cause I mean, you have to talk about that. That's mm-hmm. something that you need to at least touch on at some point. Like, what what is going to happen but for the parent to bring it up to the child yeah. i think is a little weird i was I think gonna say usually it's the child is like what happens if something you know right. what would happen if you died or and, the parent tells you what's going to happen not right. like hey so what are you going to do if i'm something happens to me that's kind of a weird way to approach it for sure that's odd and and i think there's definitely some significance to this conversation for sure and i think pistol agrees with that statement as well as i think he thinks now especially that there was more going on behind the scenes between her and Rob than we even know about. Mm-hmm. And perhaps it was even, you know, getting very abusive between her and Rob as far as threats and things like that. And she may have not been telling pistol cause she doesn't want to upset yeah, him any more right. than he already is about Rob. So one afternoon, Patrice's client and good friend and McDonald stopped by the salon on her way home from work. This was Wednesday, April 14th, 2004. And this was something that Anne did a lot. She loved to come in and talk to Patrice. So that day she came in and they talked for a while. And before Anne left, Patrice asked if she was coming in the next day. And Anne had an appointment the next day, actually, and said, of course, she would be there. So she left expecting to see Patrice the next day. But that would not be the case. At this particular time, Pistol was in high school and he was about to turn 16 years old. And him and his mom had a close relationship all the way up uh, till his time. And it was her routine to every morning get on the treadmill. And this was also how she woke up pistol for school as he would hear, you know, the rhythmic bump, 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 you know, when somebody running mm-hmm. on the treadmill, you hear that kind of thumping noise of mm-hmm. the feet hitting the treadmill deck. And he knew that it was time to get up. So on the morning of Thursday, April 15th, 2004, the morning started like any other morning. While getting ready, Pistol had an argument with Patrice. He wanted to get to school early to see his girlfriend before classes began. So after getting ready for school, Patrice then dropped him off at school and told him she loved him. He said he loved her too and went to school like it was any other day. Patrice then headed to work and she arrived at her salon at 8.50 a.m. and backed up her Chevy Tahoe along the side of the building like she always did. And then she would go through the side entrance of her building. Her first appointment of the day was at 9 a.m. with Pam Shepard. Pam arrived on time and Patrice was ready for her. And as they chatted, Pam noticed that Patrice seemed distracted. She also seemed less personable than usual. So that could just be, you know, a result of the morning. Maybe it was a little bit stressful with Pistol getting him to school or maybe there was something else on her mind. Pam left the salon at 11.05 a.m. and just five minutes later at 11.10 a.m., Patrice's next appointment arrived. Paul Cantor took a seat for a quick haircut. Around 11.25 a.m., Patrice was wrapping up. As Paul left the salon, he got a phone call, which was at 11.27 a.m. And then at 11.35 a.m., a client called to reschedule her appointment. Patrice took the call, but again, the client noticed she seemed distracted and rushed the call. It only lasted about two minutes, and she hung up at 11.37 a.m. 13 minutes later, at 11.50 a.m., the phone rang again. But this time, no one answered. Between 11.37 a.m. and 11.50 a.m. is where the greatest mystery lies. Mm -hmm. 
Because during those 13 minutes, Patrice disappears without a trace. She actually had another appointment at noon, and when that client arrived, they noticed that Patrice wasn't there. The salon was completely deserted. And at that point, you might think maybe she just walked away. Maybe she wanted to start a new life, right? But the weird thing is she left her purse, she left her keys, and she even left her lunch in the microwave like she was about to start making it and then just disappeared. Like nothing was out of place. It seemed like she was living her normal day, doing her normal routine, and then she must have walked out of there at some point. Something happened. Unless someone brought her out of there. Right, right. After the client realized that Patrice wasn't at the salon and she likely didn't just take off for a walk because who puts their lunch in the microwave and then like goes for a long walk or something. Yeah, and never comes back. Exactly. They called 911 to report that Patrice was missing. And as soon as officers arrived on the scene, they knew something was very wrong. During a search of the salon, they discovered that the cash register was open and the money that had been inside had been stolen. Also, Patrice's purse had been rummaged through but the money inside wasn't taken. So that's very odd because I think, you know, you see a cash register open, you're going to think robbery, you know, perhaps Mm -hmm. a robbery occurred here. But the fact that somebody went through her purse and didn't take the cash in the purse is very odd and kind of, you know, why would they take the cash from the register and not from the purse? What robber would do that? Yeah. Also, there was no sign of a struggle and the windows and doors hadn't been broken into And also police noted that a salon is a very odd target for robbery since there's usually not that much money, you know, cash on hand in a salon. So definitely not. But police can't rule out a robbery completely because the road that it's on does get a lot of foot traffic and people did stop in to our salon quite a bit to ask for directions and things like that. So Mm. they're saying that it's improbable that it was a robbery, but it's not impossible. Seems highly highly unlikely yeah the police also found no blood or drag marks and everything was in the same place it usually was since it was a salon there was no hope of finding a suspect using hair evidence which yeah i mean there's hair all over a salon so how are you going to be able to determine who's uh you know whose hair it is and you know who's a suspect so it's so true there's so much dna yeah dna all over the place so can't really pull anything from anywhere effectively The only thing that police could conclude was the fact that during a 13 minute window, something happened to Patrice. And at this point, there was no way to know whether or not she was abducted or she left voluntarily. But pretty much soon after talking to family and friends, they figured out that it was highly unlikely for Patrice to just have gotten up and walked out of her salon and disappear. She just wouldn't have done that to her son, too. It was clear how much she loved her child. She would not just abandon him. It doesn't even make sense. And she would take her stuff with her. And what's up with the lunch? That's the one thing that gets me. The lunch that was in the microwave. Yeah. I I think that tells us a lot about what she was doing at that time. She was Mm -hmm. literally heating up her food when Mm -hmm. something something happened that Mm -hmm. she was not planning for. Mm -hmm. I mean, some people are like, well, could she have had a psychotic episode? Could you be heating up your lunch and have a psychotic breakdown and like run out of your salon and disappear? Anything's possible, but that seems, yeah, unlikely. I think there was foul play here for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And the one thing that investigators found very suspicious was that Patrice's Chevy Tahoe was parked in front of the salon, obscuring the front entrance view instead of alongside the building where it usually was. This is a confirmed thing because we actually have photos of her Chevy Tahoe parked next to the building. She always parked it there. She always went in that side entrance. She would have not parked it normally, you know, in front of the building that day. So she, at some point, the Chevy Tahoe gets moved to the front door area. So once investigators realized that this was odd, that the Tahoe was in front of the salon, they did try to search it for evidence and they actually found fingerprints on the Tahoe, but they came back as the mechanic who changed the oil. Unfortunately, there was no other prints. So while all this is unfolding, Pistol is at school like normal. He's in a biology class when a school resource officer comes in and pulls him from class. He then takes him to the office and he asked Pistol if he had spoken to his mother since that morning. And Pistol said he hadn't. The officer then asked if he had any way to get in touch with her. And of course, you know, he had a cell phone. So he tried to call his mom's cell phone, but it went straight to voicemail. And usually when he called, even if Patrice wouldn't answer right away, she would call him back within a few minutes. 
but this time she didn't. And he called three times and never got an answer. So right away, I think Pistol realized something is very wrong. Something she would call me back if I called three times. No, she was not sketchy like that and unreliable. No. And when this information got back to the investigators that were working the case, I think they realized right away that, you know, something is wrong here. We can't get a hold of her. So obviously she didn't just leave the salon on her own accord. Something happened to her. Mm -hmm. So the police immediately launched a large scale search in Forsyth County, Georgia. They set up a tip line and encouraged all witnesses to come forward because, yeah, I mean, there's no virtually no evidence to go off of. There's no cameras. There's no, you know, you got to go off what people saw. And luckily, this was a somewhat busy road, so people are driving by all the time. And police were hoping that people that were driving by during this 13-minute window may have seen something. And they did a serious search around the salon. I mean, they got members of the community. They got Patrice's family and friends in to join the search. And they looked in remote areas on ATVs. They also got police dogs out to use for tracking. I mean, they combed this area. They also interviewed everyone who knew Patrice or was connected to her. And they also reviewed financial records and phone records. The police did a pretty good job at uh, turning over every stone uh, for the most part in this Mm -hmm. case. And they really weren't finding anything. So as in most cases where a wife disappears, police's first suspect or person of interest is going to be the husband, right? So -hmm. they go and question Patrice's husband, Rob, pretty thoroughly. And Rob, which is so weird, and I did not expect this from him, he claims to have a degree in criminology. So he says, and he actually says this in the unsolved mysteries episode yeah, that he's very cocky. about. He's this. very cocky, like over. He's like, I have a degree in criminology. And so, so I understand that I've ruled myself out. Yeah, literally. He's like, <laughs> they got to rule me out. So I know they're just doing their job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The way he talks about it, he definitely he's, tries to make you convinced that he knows, you know, what he's talking about. Therefore he somehow has no involvement. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it all seems a little too like calculated to me in a way. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, even if you had a degree in criminology, who like Mm -hmm. comes out and kind of boasts about that. And in a case where your wife goes missing, if, I mean, if anything, it's possible that that would help you know how to get away with something. Exactly. I mean, we've seen that quite a bit. Mm -hmm. We have. So the police ask Rob, you know, what were you doing the day that Patrice disappeared? And he said that he had been at work until around two or three in the afternoon and timestamps at a gas station as well as his arrival at work were his alibi, but they weren't airtight. And before Rob actually headed to work, he went to a gas station in Woodstock, Georgia, about 40 minutes west of his house, which is kind of odd. Mm -hmm. And a, a lot of people agree that why would you go 40 minutes east of your house to get gas and then drive to your job at a plant in Coniers, Georgia. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Wouldn't you just go to a gas station mm-hmm. right next to your work? Why are you going 45 minutes out of your way to get gas? Sketchy. The police considered all possibilities, including that Rob was responsible for Patrice's disappearance and even that Rob may have hired someone to murder his wife. If Rob was responsible, he would have elicited help from someone else to use his credit card at the gas station for an alibi, which is very possible. It's suspicious that the gas station was just far enough from his job that he wouldn't have had the time to get to Patrice's salon and then to work by the time he checked in. That That's the biggest question mark for me is like, that just seems like, how do yeah. we know somebody else didn't do that and just give him the receipt? That's true. No, someone totally could have done that. Because this whole case definitely seems like a murder for hire plot. Like it really does. Yeah, I could see that for sure. And the police have even said that they haven't ruled that idea out. No, they said it's if if it's all true that he really did drive there and then go to work, it's it's not impossible for him to have been involved in this disappearance mm. in the timeline that he gives. But Rob in the episode is very cocky once again that mm-hmm. this is virtually impossible. There's no way that I could have been involved in this if I had, you know, I've got the timestamps to prove it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very odd. He says things like, show me, show me how I did this. Yeah. He's very confident. He is very confident. But the police knew that if someone had taken Patrice, it had to be a person who was familiar with her routine. She ate lunch at 1130 AM between client appointments, just enough time to slip in, snatch her up and leave without any direct witnesses. If Rob had hired someone, he would have filled this person in on his wife's routine. 
Cause I mean, that's the biggest thing is like, how would they have known that nobody would have been there? You would have had to know her schedule at the salon mm-hmm. and how many people knew her schedule at the salon other than friends and family or yeah. Or clients. Yeah. And I guess you could make the argument that it could have been a totally random event where somebody randomly happened to come into her salon when she happened to be heating up her food and it all unfolded in this totally random. But why? I mean, like you said, what's the motive? Yeah. What and would be the motive just for does somebody? Does not make sense. No, and and in most robberies, it doesn't end up in somebody being abducted. But I mean, maybe it maybe it could have been some type of track trafficking thing. You know? Yeah, that That's was kind of one of my first thoughts when when we were watching this. Is like maybe this has something to do with human trafficking. She was stalked for a while. You know, and and people that really do have a routine like that, where it's like every day they have lunch at eleven thirty, it's easier to go after people like that because. You can, you know, she could have easily been stopped. Find the, yeah, find a vulnerable times. Or, yeah. I don't know if her there's, you know, windows on the salon. Someone could have been watching. There's a her. few, but I don't. Or maybe it was like a client. It could have been a client or somebody that came in could at some in point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like someone was sent in to yeah. figure out how she does things. That's that's possible. It's out there, but possible. I mean, I've covered too many serial killers to you know not consider that. Yeah, a serial killer could have come into it. No, they definitely could have. After looking at Rob pretty extensively, the police weren't able to uncover any evidence that he was involved in her disappearance uh, at all. But it seems to me like his alibi is a little bit too airtight. Like it's a little too convenient, you know, mm-hmm. 45 minutes out of the way for gas. And then it's an hour yeah. uh, to go to work. And I don't know. It just is like, it's so bizarre. Like, mm-hmm. and it happens, he happens to do this on the day his wife goes missing. Yeah. I don't know. It almost seems a little too convenient. No, I agree with that for sure. But eventually the police caught a break. Two witnesses came forward separate from each other, which is important. And they both saw a blue car and they're not really sure what the maker model was, but they reported a Chevy Lumina, a Ford Taurus or a Chevy Malibu. Uh, They all are kind of similar models. So I could see how just driving by, you know, most people aren't able to, you know, distinct and exact car make oh, and yeah. model. I'd have no idea. But one of the witnesses did note that it had a Georgia quail wildlife tag on the car. Mm-hmm. And the car was parked outside of Patrice's salon around 1145 AM on the morning. She disappeared. That's right. In her lunch hour. Yep. Right in that window. One of the witnesses, Tammy Fincher reported seeing two women outside the salon, a tall younger woman with dark hair and a short older woman. The younger woman was in front of the car toward the middle And the older woman was on the passenger side near the front of the car. The other witness told investigators he believed he saw a man with shoulder length hair around the same time. However, the man obviously doesn't match Rob's description at all. No, Rob's bald. Well, was he at the time? Actually, I don't remember what he looked like back then. Uh, He's kind of bald. Yeah, he's he's balding balding at that point. Balding. Yeah, Yeah. gotcha. So he probably didn't have shoulder length hair. So it probably wasn't Rob. That uh, was seen. That was there. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And again, that could have, I feel like that could have even been Patrice outside too. Cause she does have like shoulder length, darker hair. And I mean, if you're just driving by, that's it's kind of hard to discern if it's a female or male, I guess. Yeah, that's possible. Investigators strongly believe though, that the blue vehicle was a significant piece of evidence that could help them solve this case. Cause I mean, clearly this car likely had something to do with her disappearance. I mean, it was during that window Uh, that 13 minute window. So definitely want to know who is the owner of this vehicle. And they considered the witnesses reliable as well because they described the same color and the type of car in front of the salon. The first witness, Tammy described the two people as being close together and that one of them was either being helped up after falling or being pushed down. She said their positions didn't look normal. And to say something like that makes me think maybe there was some type of struggle that was happening outside Mm. of the salon. Because who would who would say that, you know, like that's kind of an odd thing to say. So clearly she saw something that piqued her attention and and made her think twice about what she had seen while interviewing Tammy. One of the officers told her she could have been one of the last people to see Patrice alive. And this made Tammy very upset and she started crying. And when she realized that that was probably the case and she felt tremendous guilt for not realizing that something may have been wrong and the fact that she didn't stop to help which I don't know how you can really blame yourself for that. No, you can't. When Rob was first told of his wife's disappearance, he was in disbelief. He insisted there was just something wrong with her cell phone 
and that she'd be back. However, within 24 hours of being told Patrice was gone, he changed all the locks on their house. And when Pistol tried to come home that day, Rob refused to let him inside. And remember, Pistol is 15 years old, turning 16. He's a 10th grader, and he wouldn't allow him to come in the house at all to get his clothes or belongings or even a picture of his missing mother. That's absurd. And with nowhere else to go, Pistol went to live with his father, Don, on a small farm where he raises chickens. But his dad had fallen into a depression, and it was very difficult for Pistol at that time. And Pistol notes that after his mother disappeared, this completely rocked him and it really forced him to grow up very quickly. But let's talk about one of the most suspicious things in this whole case, and that's Rob changing the locks right away. I mean, who does that? I think it's exceptionally cruel to lock out your wife's son from his own home. That's so sad. Like, and you're already feeling so lost and then to not even be able to go into your home, you don't have your mom or your home. And then you're dealing with your asshole stepdad on top of it. Like you'd think something like this would bring you together. Like in normal circumstances, when like, let's say it's a situation where a step parent, they don't get along with the child. If the, you know, spouse had gone missing, most people would be brought together by that situation. Like we both miss her. Let's work together. But it seemed to be the opposite of that. Like as soon as Patrice was missing, Rob treated pistol. Like he just wasn't part of his life either. Like he was like, well, if she's not around, I definitely don't want to deal with you. And he basically admits that in the documentary. He was like, he was just didn't want him around. Yeah. He's a bad guy. Get him out of here. Yeah. He's like, to be honest, I just didn't, didn't want him. He, I mean, he tried to make it, be like, oh yeah, I changed the locks because of safety reasons, but it was pretty clear he did it despite pistol. Well, if it's for safety reasons, first of all, at this point in time, we don't even know where Patrice is or what happened to her. So yeah, for why all we she know, leave the door unlocked, honestly, she her? could still be alive too. Yeah. Like she could still come home. Yeah. So why would you change the lock? Like who does that? No, it's, it's a very weird thing to do. Like if there was a break in the house, that'd be understandable i guess he could have thought you know maybe someone was after patrice and i don't want them coming to the house and i guess but i mean this was to the point where pistol was out there banging on the front door and rob was inside and wouldn't let him in well he was just an evil dude yeah well here's a darker possibility is that rob may have had patrice either restrained somewhere in the house or he actually killed her in the house i didn't think about maybe he needed time to clean up the crime scene Oh, damn. Yeah, because I guess Pistol never went back in there no. for a while, like a couple days. Oh, my gosh. That's interesting. I wonder if the police at all consider that. Oh, I'm sure they did. I'm sure they, they find this very odd oh. that because who weird. does this? I mean, that's weird. Who who changes the locks on their, their house like right so away? So in theory, he would have have to go to the salon, pick her up, bring her back to the house and murder her there. Or somebody else did. Weird. Yeah. I mean, it's just one possibility. It doesn't mean it actually happened, but... Yeah, I mean, he, either way, he had to keep Pistol out of the house and keep mm. anyone else out of the house as well. So it would make sense for him to change the locks. And when Patrice's friends and family members heard what Rob had done, uh, suspicion went through the roof, I think, because mm-hmm. they're like, what is wrong with this guy? Yeah. Why and, is he treating Pistol like such shit? Yeah, and why is he changing the locks on their house? I mean, they all knew that they were going to get divorced, and mm-hmm. that was that was coming. So which he still says, nope, we were fine. We were in love. Yeah. It's all good. That's all rumors. But the whole family says other otherwise. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And according to family and friends from what they saw and heard from Patrice, Rob was jealous whenever she spent time with anyone, even her own friends. It had to always be about him. And it seemed like he only wanted her to be with him and with no one else, obviously, including her son. And family members have claimed that Rob lied about him and Patrice and how they met and that he was jealous of her close relationship with Pistol's father, which that would make a lot of sense because Pistol did say they had a good relationship despite not being married anymore. Pistol felt like Rob was upset anytime him and his mother spent time together. And after his mom went missing, Pistol spent hours wandering in the woods and remote areas calling her name. That's just such a sad (sighs) thought. I feel so bad for him. No. Family members comforted him, saying his mom would never leave him. And the night before Patrice disappeared was the last night Pistol spent in his family home. His happy childhood memories of Patrice at Christmas time or waking him up for school mornings were all wiped away in an instant, thanks to Rob. His whole life changed in a second. That's Mm -hmm. just unbelievable. 
At some point after she disappeared, another witness came forward. A woman named Michelle Grant told investigators that she saw the man who kidnapped Patrice. She said she was driving by the salon on April 15th around 1130 a.m. when she saw a man in the parking lot. He was near a late model GMC cargo van parked in front of the building. She described him as a tall man around six feet weighing about 180 pounds. He was in his late 30s or early 40s with dark hair and dark eyes and wore loose fitting pants, a gray jersey jacket and a camouflage hat. The police had Michelle work with a police sketch artist to create a composite sketch of the man and they distributed it widely through the community and encouraged anyone who had any information to come forward. Michelle's account and the sketch of the suspect gave Patrice's family some hope because they're like, okay, at least we have a face to the potential, you know, person that abducted Patrice. Unfortunately though, those hopes were dashed in March of 2005. Michelle admitted that she had lied to police and gave false information. Why? 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 I don't get it. What's in it for you? What? I don't understand. People do this shit all the time. All you're doing is hurting the family. Yeah. Fucking up the investigation. Just so what you can feel like you kind of in on it or get some attention out of it. I don't know. People are so messed up. So the sketch went out just in the trash. I mean, there was no validity behind it whatsoever. And the police were back to square one to encourage more people to come forward. Patrice's family, friends and community came together to raise money for a reward fund. They offered the reward to anyone who came forward with the information that led to finding Patrice. They held benefits like local car washes to add money to the fund. And in the months following Patrice's disappearance, the police had a few suspects they considered. And one of these suspects was a man named Jeremy Jones. So Jeremy in October of 2005 was on trial for the murder of Lisa Nichols. He was convicted of her rape and murder. And in the next month, Jeremy would admit to several additional murders in the Atlanta, Georgia area. Investigators believed he could be responsible for up to 20 murders. So he's a straight up serial killer. And in early December, he was sentenced to death along with his other confessions. Jeremy claimed that he had kidnapped and murdered a hairdresser in Georgia The police have described Jeremy as a personable, easy to talk to and seemingly ordinary guy. He liked to hunt fish and talk sports, but he had a very dark side. He liked to assault women. Yeah. He's like a very chatty type of dude. There's video footage of him in the Netflix special. And yeah, it's, it's just, he's so like, I don't know that he's so like charismatic when he talks like, Hey man, he's like, I just do some evil shit when I'm on dope. Yeah. Yeah. Like sometimes I just don't know what I'm doing and. That's, you know, one of those times is what I did to Patrice. Mm -hmm. So it seemed like, wow, I think we're going to solve this. Right. So when he was talking to investigators, he described in great detail how he was driving by Patrice's salon and decided to stop. He even drew a picture of how the vehicles in the parking lot were positioned. He claimed he threatened Patrice with a knife and forced her into his car. And during his confession, he talked about how Patrice begged for her life, telling him she had a family who loved her. He said her tears started to make him cry but he killed her anyway. And afterward, he took her body to Sweetwater Creek in Douglas County and dumped it into the water over a bridge. And so the police were like, okay, we've got it. We've got the information we need. We're going to go retrieve Patrice. So they went out there and searched the water and all the surrounding areas using boats, cadaver dogs, and search and rescue personnel, which I think the whole creek ran like 65 miles. I mean, it's a, a, a large area that they searched and they found absolutely nothing. And as many of us know, sometimes people confess to crimes they didn't commit and investigators believe this is what happened with Jeremy. They found no evidence linking him to Patrice or to her disappearance. And later on, he actually recanted his whole confession, Mm -hmm. admitting he made up the whole story to get more visitation time, phone privileges and better food in prison. Did he actually get those things or he didn't get them? So he was like, never mind. No, he probably got punished because of that. Like, yeah, that is so irritating. Can you imagine working on a case and someone's just messing with you like all that search for nothing? Yeah, I know it's, that's just so hard and probably so frustrating as an investigator. Mm -hmm. Like you think you're like, okay, we've got this. We're going to solve this case. And then the guy comes back and he says, Oh, I just made it all up. Yep. However, this is interesting. Jeremy is not entirely off the list of suspects. Investigators have said he has what they call guilty knowledge or information that only the kidnapper would know or someone who had spoken to the kidnapper. And that makes him a person of interest in the case. That's very interesting because Mm. they did say that the fact that he knew how the vehicles were parked at the salon, 
yeah, was something yeah. that only somebody who had direct knowledge of mm-hmm. of Patrice and her salon would know. Because how would you how would you have guessed that right? Because he was able to basically confirm that her her Chevy Tahoe was on the side of the building parked. Yeah. So. Yeah. So maybe he did. Or maybe he knows the person or is somehow yeah. connected to the individual. I don't know, though. Even if you knew of someone who did that, how would you know that information still? They told you that? Maybe. I mean, if you're a serial killer, maybe there's another serial killer. They all get together and And they talk, talk about, about the parking lot. <laughs> I don't know. That's weird. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, uh, that's very strange. And the fact that investigators say they have guilty knowledge that they just can't disclose. I'm sure there's more to that whole yeah. bit. It sounds like there's quite a bit that they're not disclosing yet. But then everything changed in this case on December 6, 2005. A man named Albert Clark was doing some construction work with friends at Lebanon Baptist Church in Dawsonville, Georgia. While taking a break, Albert noticed a group of vultures, and him and his friend walked over and saw a dead deer. And while Albert stood near the deer, his friend pointed to a white object behind him. And... When they got closer to this object, they realized that they were looking at a human skull. So they contacted the police. And this Lebanon Baptist Church is about 10 miles from Patrice's salon and about 70 miles from where Jeremy Jones claimed he dumped her body. When the police got to the scene, they did an exhaustive search of the area. They literally cleared all. This is a very rural area, too. There's just forest for for miles. And they kind of set up a perimeter and then cleared the forest floor and they recovered pretty much all of her remains in addition to the skull. And it was just bones at this point. Yeah. And this has only been 600 days since she's gone missing. And it's crazy that the body decomposes to bones and that seems like a short amount of time. Yeah. 600 days. That's a long time. That's plenty of time for a body to decompose. It happens quicker than you'd think. It's interesting to me that it's all spread out too, you know, Mm -hmm. Like it's just scattered out on the, on the forest floor Mm -hmm. versus like being in a pile. So clearly she wasn't buried somewhere. Mm -hmm. It's almost like maybe she even decomposed somewhere else. And then somebody came and just scattered her remains in the forest and hoped that nobody would ever retrieve them. I I find that really weird because like, I feel like in a lot of cases it's, I I guess weather can move stuff around. I, I guess there's ways that remains could be moved around and spread out. But I mean, it was spread out in a pretty good area. Could they have dismembered her or did they rule that out? That's that's true. Yeah. Well, they, you can't determine that from bones. I mean, you can't determine well, maybe, well, you know, they could see unnatural. Yeah. I guess you could, or, I guess you could look at the bone. Cause if you're going to dismember somebody, you gotta, you'll be able to tell. Yeah, you're right. So yeah, she could have definitely been dismembered. I don't, well, I think they would have reported that. Right. I'm not sure. Well, I don't, we don't have her autopsy report, so. Oh, okay. That's not public. Yeah. They release, they have not released the full information about the autopsy. Ah, So there's definitely, there's definitely more there Mm -hmm. than what has been disclosed. Police said they found about 90% of Patrice's remains, but what they thought was weird is they didn't find her wedding ring and it wasn't left at the salon Mm -hmm. either. Would that be something that maybe Rob would want? Hmm. Possibly. I mean, he did buy it. Or whoever murdered her could have just kept it as a trophy. I That's mean, true. A lot of killers that does do happen. do that. Yeah. yeah. Some people think that the fact she was found near a church could be some significance. Maybe like they were trying to send a message. Yeah, definitely. What would that message be? Desecrating a church with a dead body. Or like maybe they felt like that was a more respectful place to leave remains. Yeah. That's weird. Then yes. like, you know. I mean, you could just put them in the garbage or something. I mean, there's a lot of other places, so there could be some significance to the location of the remains. After the autopsy, the police released very little information to the public. Investigators did not reveal if a cause of death was determined. They did not reveal if they believe she was killed, where her remains were found, or if her body had been dumped on the church property shortly after she was killed, or if her decomposed remains had been left there later. Investigators have said that it would have been difficult for the killer to carry a lifeless body through the remote area, but she could have been dragged to the spot where she was found, or maybe they basically forced her to walk into the woods where they then killed her right there. The reward fund for information leading to finding Patrice was then changed to a reward for information leading to her murder's arrest. 
On January 15, 2006, the community came together along with Patrice's friends and family members to honor her in a public memorial. And then two years later, in January of 2008, investigators identified another suspect who could have been linked to Patrice's case. The suspected murderer of Meredith Emerson, Gary Michael Hilton. And during the investigation of Meredith's disappearance, investigators agreed not to pursue the death penalty if Gary admitted to her murder and directed them to her body. Because he had actually abducted Meredith as she walked her dog on a hiking trail on Blood Mountain in northern Georgia. He abducted her and then kept her alive for several days before brutally murdering her and dismembering her. He then dumped her decapitated body in Dawson Forest in Dawson County, Georgia, and let her dog go free. He was convicted of Meredith's murder and sentenced to life in prison, and afterward, authorities started linking other murders to Gary, and they strongly considered the possibility that he had abducted and murdered Patrice. The police described Gary as an opportunist who doesn't need a clear motive to kidnap and kill his victims. I mean, there's a lot of serial killers like that who are just Mm -hmm. going along in life and looking for that next opportunity to kill. Well, they're just, they, some of them really, you know, kind of get off on the excitement of it all. Yeah. Like not really. Like there's no it plan. Out. It's yeah. just going to, we're just going to wing it. Mm-hmm. And he had actually been in Forsyth County around the time of Patrice's disappearance. And he had told investigators that his favorite place to go was a hair salon. While they couldn't find any evidence proving he was involved in Patrice's murder, he had not been completely ruled out as a suspect. And because police have withheld a lot of critical evidence from the public, it's very difficult to speculate about this case. We just don't know. Investigators have been cautious in this case to avoid getting another false confession, which I totally understand that. I mean, they don't Mm. want to keep getting false confessions because then it goes nowhere. And then, you know, then what do you do? You're just wasting time and resources. Right. Now this is where things get really, really wild. So after Patrice's remains were found and autopsied, they were released to the funeral home. The funeral director, Judson Caldwell received a very odd request from Patrice's husband, Rob. Rob asked him to reassemble Patrice's bones anatomically so he could say Mm -mm, goodbye. mm -mm. That is very, very creepy. So the funeral director was like, uh, okay. And they did their best to lay out her bones in the form of a body. Oh, that's so creepy. So that he could be with her one last time. Mm -hmm. And apparently during this time, Rob picked up her skull yeah, and he like nestled it in his arms and carried it around the room. Yeah. And he actually referred to it as her head. Yeah. In the documentary. Is that a slip up? You think? I don't know. That's just so weird. I don't know. Ah, that's so creepy. Who would do that? Yeah. Who does that? Who, and that just shows his thinking too. Yeah. And like, it gets worse. Not only that, when he got his, her ashes, he would sleep with them in his bed for like days which he claims it was like in the cardboard box still. I don't care where it is. That is, that is, uh, I know everyone mourns differently and grieves differently. I understand that, but that is just, he called it his teddy bear. uh, That's a little uncomfortable. Carl Tanzler vibes. If you've heard of Carl Tanzler, you know what I'm talking about. Yes. That's sick. Kept a corpse in his. Yeah. For years. Yeah. It's very weird. Yeah. And it definitely makes you wonder about, about him a lot. Uh huh. The fact that he wanted to be—I mean, I—I I don't know anybody that would want want to do that. Why would you want to remember have your last memory of your Ugh. loved one be their skeletal remains? I can't even think about it. It reminds me, Janelle and I were talking about this earlier. There was this girl on TLC uh, that show My Strange Addiction who slowly ate her husband's ashes over time. Like she'd have like a little bit every day, a little pinch, little finger lick. And eventually she ran out of him. Yeah. That's, <laughs> it's weird. I just, I'm sorry. It's very, it makes me very uncomfortable. Well, and you remember during this episode when he actually goes and gets her ashes and for somebody that claims that, you know, she was a special person to him. He, she was like in the bottom of his closet. Yeah. In a cardboard box. Yeah. You can at least get like a vase for her. Right. And then remember or how urn, sorry, yeah, a vase. yeah, seriously, She's still in this cardboard box from the mm-hmm. you know cremation place. That's and weird. His whole demeanor during this this clip is just so weird. He he talks like I haven't opened yeah. it yet, and or, you know I don't know what I'm going to feel. He's like trying to talk through what his emotions are. Remember that he's like trying yeah. to de- describe like oh this is going to be so hard, mm-hmm. and he's like totally like kind of I think he's fake 
yeah. crying a little bit and trying to look too. sad. And then he like pulls her out of the box and it's just like a bag. It's a plastic bag and it's like a pound of ash and just the way he acts about it is just so weird. I feel like it's Ugh, just, I don't it know. makes me sick. I don't like it. Yeah. It's, I don't like it. It's creepy all. as hell. Also, you remember when he was holding her ashes, he said, I have her. I have her. Almost like referring to like, I still have possession of her got, in oh, like yeah. a, a worldly sense. I still like, own, yeah, right. I still own her. Like I'm the one that has her at the end of the yeah. day. Yeah. It's very that. weird. And what about pistol? He can't, he, he, he can't even have his mother's remains. Cause this creepy ass dude has a hazard. Yep. According to Rob, he believes that there's multiple people involved and at least one of them was someone she knew and trusted <laughs> him. Yeah. <laughs> he has suggested that she was kept alive for a while before being killed and use the term someone's toy when mm. talking about this. He speculated that her body was also brought to the spot where her remains were found in a wheelbarrow. Yeah. That's just weird. And, and, and he's trying to be like, I'm the criminology guy. Yeah, so I, I like, I know the case. Yeah. 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 And to clarify, he was saying that someone could have kept her for a while and used her as his toy. Like yeah, maybe right. she wasn't killed the day that she was taken. Right. Yeah. Which, yeah, I mean, it's that possible. is possible. Yeah. I mean, you know, this with up, how long it took for them to find her and everything. Yeah. Right. And with, you know, Gary Hilton, I mean, that's exactly what he did is he kept a, a Meredith alive for a couple of days. So it is possible, but just the using the word toy is yeah. very weird. He was someone's toy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He talks about it very remotely. Like he's an investigator yeah. who's talking about some case, but the way, I mean, it's your wife. I don't know. I'm really curious to see other people's opinions on this guy because his interview is just so uncomfortable. I don't think we're the only ones like he no, gives off no, very, definitely not. very weird vibes. And he was also like, what motive would I have? Yeah. There was no life insurance policy, which is yeah, he's a such lie. A smart ass about it. Like I, I know everything. So, and there's no way I could have done this. So if you think that you're just dumb, pretty he, much, he claims there's no life insurance policy on Patrice, but family and friends all say different that there is. So would it be, are you able to keep that private? I guess you can. Yeah. If it hasn't, or maybe the police know this, I'm sure the police know, Hmm. but there's, you don't have to publicly disclose whether or not you have a life insurance policy on your loved one. So he's claiming he doesn't. And so there's no motive for him to want her dead. Well, the police, the police know if there was, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. They would be able to figure that out. So it's a bold lie. If the police, you know, already know that that's not true. Why would you just say that? Right. So at the end of this, there is, you know, their police have their, you know, theories, they have their suspects, they have their persons of interest, but this is still an open and active investigation and the search for Patrice's killer continues today. And, you know, for the sake of the family and for pistol, I just hope that they get justice uh, for her because Mm -hmm. she ultimately left this earth way too soon and in a probably brutal way. Yeah. It, it's really sad. Chances are. Yeah. I know it's, it's extremely sad, especially just seeing how, like we've said, it affected her son so much and all those years just wasted, um, for someone's selfish actions. It's terrible. So what do we think? I mean, I, I think it's pretty clear that Rob most likely had something to do with this. I mean, there's a couple theories out there as far as what people think may have happened to her. One of them is that Rob paid someone to get gas. Like we had said, And, you know, then later on he gets the receipt from that person or he goes and picks it out of the trash can. Like they drop it for him to pick up. Uh, And then, you know, that person abducts and murders his wife either in the car or then, you know, they brought the body to the house or maybe they brought her to the house alive and murdered her there. And then they changed the locks afterwards. Um, That's one theory. Maybe they hired someone like a serial killer, like Jeremy to abduct her. It's one of those cases where there's just so many possibilities that it's hard to even really narrow down what you think, but I don't know. There's this one's kind of interesting too, is maybe she was lured somewhere. Like maybe she got a call, maybe, you know, somehow she was alerted that your son's in danger or something like that. But why would she leave her keys behind and her, or she wouldn't have. Yeah. We don't, I don't think we have the cell. She didn't actually leave. Yeah. Yeah. That just doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense. But they're saying that maybe somebody called her and said something's wrong with pistol. There's an issue with pistol. Yeah, but why wouldn't she bring her stuff with her? Right. That's true. Why wouldn't she bring her purse? Yeah. 
And wouldn't she have gone to the school because he was at school? Yeah. So why, how would they Doesn't make her any to someone sense. else? Yeah. Doesn't work at all. No, I mean, honestly, everything points to Rob somehow being involved with this. Or a random person or, you know, murder to hire, murder for hire. Yeah. Murder for hire or. <laughs> yeah. So much murder for hire. Yeah. yeah. I, I, think, I mean, true. I think that's the biggest thing is that she, I mean, it makes sense. She wanted a divorce and mm-hmm. he's like, it's the classic if I can't have her, then no, no one, one will. Can. Yeah. Yeah. And that happens far too often, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But then again, there's always this possibility. I mean, this is really frightening. The idea of that there's just serial killers running around and a lot, you know, well, yeah, a lot there of, are. no, I know, but like, it seems like there's large volumes of them running people that are yeah. killing multiple people yep. and, you know, random abductions that happen, you know, so many of these cases where, people just disappear. You know, there's Mm -hmm. people looking for those opportunities all the time. It's really scary to think about. Ultimately, I do think this case will be solved. Don't you? Um, actually, I don't know. I have a feeling it won't really. I mean, it depends. We don't know what evidence they have. I think I'd love to see the case file, but I think they're building a case against Rob. Honestly, I think, I I think Rob is going to go down. What can you determine just from a Netflix documentary? I don't know. I love feeling like pretty frustrated and hopeless at the end of it. I don't know. Let I didn't us know think what they you were think. that close, but yeah. maybe if he was named a suspect, I would feel a little stronger. Well, he was a suspect and they haven't, but he's ruled not it. right now. Well, they haven't said ruled him out completely. I don't think that's true. I but think they he's don't still continue to say, no, they if don't. They had strong evidence and they were leading right. towards an arrest. They would continue right. to say he is still remains a yes. suspect. That's very, very and that's, true. It's really fizzled. So no, this is my personal opinion. I gotcha. Is that I disagree? <laughs> Rob is involved and he no, will I go down for this. I don't know if he'll go down for it though. Sometimes evil people get away with shit. There's not enough evidence, but we'll see. I think there'll be some. Let us know what you guys think in the comments below. And we'll be back next week for Halloween content. It's going to get a lot, a lot crazier from here. That's for sure. A, a lot little darker. darker. Yeah, yes. definitely. Strap a lot darker in. For- we are calling it crime Tober. Yes. We'll be doing scary true crime cases all during October. So look forward to that. Make sure you, like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube and yeah, it would really help us out. If you haven't already go to iTunes and hit subscribe for us. Mm-hmm. Helps and us out a lot. It Takes really does. A second helps us out a ton. That's the podcasting platform. That's where all the metrics are derived from. So it really does help us out. It takes a second and it's free. You don't especially ever have to you, listen to it. Yeah. Especially if you watch on YouTube because that doesn't count for us, unfortunately. Nope. Unfortunately not. So podcast world hasn't quite caught up. Nope. We're not. getting there, but <laughs> not yet. But that is it for us today. We will see you guys next time. Stay safe and stay well.